You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 97 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is about the streaming of trust income. How does a trustee stream trust income? This is the question I asked Paul McEnross of Cleary Hall in Brisbane, and here's Paul's answer. So streaming is only about income. Streaming is never about capital. No, it is about capital. It's about combination. And I don't mean capital gains. I mean capital. No, I'm talking about yeah. capital of trust purposes. So streaming is actually about ensuring that the beneficiary receives both the income component and the capital component for trust purposes of a particular capital gain. So for trust purposes, a trustee will receive the discount capital gain, for example, on if it's held an asset and sold it after a year. For trust law purposes, the income that is associated with that capital gain is only the amount that is not the discounted portion. So the discounted portion is actually a capital amount for trust purposes. So streaming is about saying that the tax laws want to make sure that the beneficiary re- receives the full financial benefit of that capital gain. And that is one of the terms that it uses. There's something that really confuses me. So far, I thought there are two buckets. One is income, one is capital. Yep. Into the capital bucket, when it's a unit trust, goes the unit price yep. or gifts that people make into the trust. That is the capital bucket. Yeah. The income bucket, I thought, is everything else, including capital gains, depending, of course, yes. on how the trustee defines income. But I didn't see capital gains in the capital bucket. Sure. So there are two components of a capital gain. If the trustee is able to disregard a portion under the discount gain, then the portion that's disregarded becomes capital of the trust fund because it's no longer income that it would be taxed on if it were a taxpayer, if it were the ultimate taxpayer. Trustee makes a capital gain. The portion that is income is only the amount that would be taxed to a beneficiary. The other component would be a capital component because it's not going to be taxed either in the hands of the beneficiary or if it's an individual. So that means if you have a hybrid trust and the trust deed says income is distributed based on unit holdings, so that's the fixed entitlements, but capital distributions are up to the um, trustee's discretion, then the income portion of the capital gain would be a fixed entitlement, but the amount that is covered by any exemptions, concessions, or the 50% CGT discount, that portion would be part of the capital distribution, hence would be subject to trustees' discretion. If that was what the trustee said, but in order to access, I guess, the streaming rules and not be taxed adversely, the component that is the capital would have to go with the income. So it has to be distributed to the same beneficiary that receives the income because what the streaming rules are are about saying is, take a step back, if we look at the phrase income of the trust estate, 
it only includes amounts that are held on revenue account. And if we disregard a portion of a capital gain that is not taxed, that portion is no longer in that bucket, to use your phrase, of income of the trust estate. Yes, but then when the beneficiary receives the capital gain, he has to gross it up again to the full amount and then he can apply his discounts or Yes, that's right. But I think what the streaming rules were designed to do is to make sure that the beneficiary who ultimately receives that capital gain distribution gets the full financial benefit and that you can't artificially send that discounted portion to another beneficiary. Because it becomes capital, you can, like you said, you can distribute it to whoever you want. But in order to for that beneficiary who grosses it up, if they, I guess, if they've artificially sent them just the income but not that capital component, it would allow you, that person, to gross it up even though they didn't receive that money. So what the streaming rules are about is saying, well... If the beneficiary is going to receive the benefit of a capital gain and be allowed to gross it up and then reduce it again, the tax law wants to make sure that that person gets the full net financial benefit from that capital gain. Is it possible that we have tax law and trust law colluding here in yes. terms of that tax law just knows a net capital gain is income, there is no capital as such, it's just income, and trust law sees the discounted portion as capital and hence brings it yes. in. So from a pure tax law position, there is no capital in a capital gain. It's just all income. Yes, that's where it collides. And I think that is why they were brought in. Because a net capital gain is income of a trust estate. But the discounted portion is not part of that phrase income of the trust estate. So therefore... If we distributed the net capital gain to one beneficiary and then we distributed the capital to another beneficiary, but we still allowed the beneficiary who received the income to gross up and then because they're an a, a individual, they can get the discount gain themselves, that would allow for, I guess, an artificial... Yeah, we would doubling up. That's right. So what it's about saying is, well, we'll let you stream both the income and capital, provided that the beneficiary who receives the distribution of the income receives the full financial benefit being the portion that is income and the portion that is capital. That's what the rules were designed to do. And it is that convergence of trust law around that phrase income and what we think of income in the tax world, because income in the tax world we think of, it will include some capital gain. That's where the, the two worlds mix. So the legislation doesn't actually give trustees a power to stream where there is no power in the deed. So it doesn't override the deed. So you do need to make sure that your deeds allow for that power to stream. Now, it would only be older trustees that wouldn't have that power. Certainly any deed since 2010, and there would have been full programs by law firms sending out deed updates and those sorts of things to make sure that trustees accounted for that. But some of the older deeds may have some deficiencies. But when we're talking about streaming, what we're really talking about is capital gains and frank dividends. You can't stream anything else. No. I mean, there's no point in streaming anything no, else. That's right. 
So some of the key terms um, are a new term of specifically entitled, which is different to that present entitlement concept. Uh, I guess it's a different concept, but it's not terribly different. The other phrase is receive or reasonably be expected to receive, and that phrase net financial benefit. So the term specific entitlement applies to both capital gains and frank dividends. There's two requirements in order to make someone specifically entitled, and that is the beneficiary must receive or reasonably be expected to receive an amount equal to the net financial benefit referable to the capital gain or the frank distribution. And it must be recorded in its character as such, so as either a capital gain or a frank distribution in the accounts or records of the trust. Yes, so the recording must clearly say, we give this capital gain to this beneficiary. Yes, well, that's right. I think it even requires you to record in the accounts that you've made a capital gain in relation to sale of a particular asset. And then the trust resolution minutes will then make reference to, one, recording that as a specific item, two, distributing it to a beneficiary, and three, that that distribution is referable to that capital gain or that those frank dividends. So it's about getting your records, records right. The term receive or reasonably be expected to receive is fairly self-explanatory. It means you must receive the full net financial benefit of the capital gain. Or you've been made presently entitled, so you still have that present entitlement and therefore you're reasonably expected to receive yeah, that, so you, that capital gain. You don't have to receive the distribution if in the ordinary circumstance. For example, you might enter into a contract to sell a CGT asset that doesn't settle for six months. Well, we know that the CGT event happens on the agreement, so therefore that may be in one year. You have to make someone presently entitled to that capital gain and for tr trust streaming purposes specifically entitled. We might do that in the account, but the money doesn't come in for six months. So that's okay. And that's what that reasonably expected to receive is designed to cover. Yes. And there we, that's where you have the unpaid present entitlements. That's right. That is fine. Provided you have that both present entitlement and specific entitlement under the streaming rules. You had a note there that said it does not require an equitable tracing. What is an equitable so tracing? Equitable tracing is tracing through a particular asset to determine the exact amount of money that is entitled to be paid out. So an equitable tracing might be in circumstances where the trustee has sold an asset but then bought another asset with the actual money that was paid out. So your money has been put into another asset. Well, you don't need to be able to prove that that's where my money went Therefore, I should get either the asset or they be forced to sell. All it really means is, has the entitlement that I have, has it been recorded properly? Has it been credited in the accounts? It doesn't require me to say, well, that's actually where my money went into that asset. That's what equitable tracing is about. When we are setting aside a capital gain, we don't have to determine right then and there the exact amount of the capital gain because there will always be fluctuations in what that is. It may be that the purchase price is contingent on something else happening, so there may be adjustments to the purchase price, or it may be that our costs associated that we could write off 
against that purchase price, the capital cost, for example, we couldn't fully determine them. We can express this as a formula. So 20% of the capital gain referable to the sale of shares is going to go to beneficiary A. Yeah, and that's especially important, for example, when you have a look-through earnout, yeah. right, where you don't know the total proceeds until three, four, five years later. That's, it really doesn't require you to write in the resolution, this is how much of the capital gain you're going to receive in a dollar sense. You can use formulas in the way I think most trust resolutions are written. You might receive a percentage of the income of a trust. And it's probably better to always have the trust resolution in percentages. It probably is very dangerous to say you receive $100,000 of the capital gain because the capital gain might change. Yes and no. It'll depend on the circumstance of the client. It may be that the client only wants to receive a certain amount of money because probably not in a capital gain sense because an individual is probably wanting to access the discount gain. But in a circumstance where you might distribute income of the trust, so leaving aside capital gains, Maybe that the client only wants to receive $100,000 and they To stay the within a certain tax bracket. Correct. But in a capital gain sense, well, if the client wants to receive the discount gain, then it has to go to an individual at some point. So you're right. You want to make sure that there's no portion of that capital gain that's not accounted for. If you use a total amount for some distributions, yep. you should always have one beneficiary who receives the balance. That's then. right. I mean, you don't want to leave yourself open to a circumstance where the trustee is assessed on that part that you've missed because you've made a mistake, mainly because your trustee will be taxed at the highest marginal rate. Yes. If you distribute exact amounts, you must always have one beneficiary who gets the rest. I think that makes sense. And, and I mean, that's what default beneficiaries are designed to do. I'm not advocating for them here. We don't have default beneficiaries in our trustee. Yeah, in the trustee, but you can always have a default beneficiary in the in trust resolution. resolution. Correct, that's right. And that makes sense to make sure that all of the income of the trust, whether it be capital gains or otherwise, are distributed so that there's no adverse consequences. Now, we'll talk about it in a minute, but there, there can be some rather strange outcomes where you don't make a beneficiary specifically entitled to all of the capital gain because the formula that determines, well, what do you do with the balance? So say we distributed by dollar figures and there was a 10% portion of the capital gain that we didn't distribute correctly. Well, the formula isn't as intuitive as you might have thought and it can have some stranger outcomes when determining, well, who's going to get the balance of that capital gain. The timing around the receipt of a capital gain really is when that amount is distributed to you. So if you receive an amount in terms of the capital gain, well, if you receive it, well, that makes sense. You've been paid the money, it's in your bank. Capital or, gain or frank distributions? Or frank distributions. So if you've received it by distribution paid to you or it's been applied on your behalf and paid to someone else at your direction, well, you've received that money. So the other phrase of reasonably be expected to receive really is about that present entitlement and that it's been set aside for your benefit in the, in the books. And that will really be, uh, like I said before, ensuring that the trust resolution minutes are done, are done correctly. 
band, you can also be reasonably be expected to receive when you have a vested and indefeasible right. Yeah, so present entitlement really gives you that vested and indefeasible interest. So once you're made presently entitled to income, we have a vested and indefeasible interest in that income. I see. So when you're presently entitled, you always have a vested and indefeasible interest, but you don't always have a present entitlement when you have a vested and indefeasible interest. Yeah. So it, it may be that the terms of the trust are such that, yes, you have a vested and indefeasible interest, but the trustee might have a power to delay payment. Until some later times. And that takes us back to section 95A, subsection that's, 2 that we spoke about before. That's right. That may be, uh, to be honest, I've never seen it, um, but that was one of the examples that I discovered in my reading, but I've never seen those circumstances. Most of the circumstances, frankly, are you do your trust resolution minutes at 30 June and you haven't paid the money yet. That's, that's really the practical effect of what that's derived at. So I've done my minutes, I've made someone presently and specifically entitled to the capital gain or the frank dividend. I just haven't paid them yet. And it may be that the trustee might retain that money as an unpaid entitlement, but it doesn't stop that you're reasonably expected to receive the full financial benefit of the capital gain. Then the next concept is net financial benefit. And as I tried to explain earlier, it's about saying that the person who has distributed income off the trust estate that's referable to the capital gain has to receive the full financial benefit of that, so the, the capital component as well. The term net financial benefit allows you to take into account prior losses and, and other aspects of costs that might be associated with frank dividends, for example. It allows you to reduce it in the ordinary courses as you ordinarily would in a trust. But whatever you're distributing, the beneficiary who you make specifically entitled has to receive that net financial benefit that is referable to that capital gain. So if I'm going to receive 10% of the capital gain, then I need to receive 10% as a round figure subject to any, I guess, deductions for those losses or expenses. As an example, the trust sold an asset for a gain of $1 million and it had a prior capital loss of $500,000 that it could apply against that gain, then the net financial benefit of that would be the $500,000. So, Even though I receive a million dollars cash. That's right. You would receive the balance as a capital distribution of another kind, um, but yes, you, you could receive the $500,000 that you reduced under the trust loss measures. But for these purposes, all you would be taxed on, obviously, is the $500,000, subject to you being able to reduce it further by the discounted capital gain. In this example, would the distribution of $500,000 that relates to the previous capital loss, could that trigger a CGT event E4? Not in a discretionary trust. Ah, yes, of course. Um, so we're kind of talking about discretionary trust here, and, and no, that wouldn't. Yes, because CGT event E4 never applies to discretionary trust. It only applies to fixed entitlements. That's right, yep. Mm. 
when we're talking about making someone specifically entitled to that net financial benefit, we need to make sure that our, our minutes always refer it back to that gain, to the capital gain or the frank distribution. And this is really about how you write your accounts of the trust and also how you write your minutes. So you make sure that you specify where the capital gain came from, who you're making specifically entitled, the net financial benefit will, will work itself out in the amounts, but you make sure that the, the distribution that you're making is referable to that capital gain made or those frank dividends that have been paid. One of the areas where streaming doesn't apply is doesn't apply to gains made by the market value substitution rule. Um, and I had an example of a client asking this exact question of they were looking to do a trust clone, which we talked about in an earlier episode where they were going to move assets from one trust to another. And in Queensland, we can do that without in, in a particular way where it doesn't trigger any stamp duty. But they were looking at whether they could stream the capital gain and apply small business concessions the answer is, well, you can't stream that capital gain. Because it came through the market value substitution Correct, because, route. Because there wouldn't be any consideration payable and therefore the capital proceeds for that are generated by the market value substitution rule. So that's just one of those carve-outs to keep in the back of your mind that we can't stream that capital gain. And we kind of have talked about this already, that... The capital gain or the frank dividends need to be recorded in that character in the books of account of the trust. So what that really means is that the trustee needs to allow you to do that. So one of the powers that should be in a trustee is the power to separately record and identify capital gains, frank distributions, and the list is long of things you can separately record, provided you have those two features, that, that will be sufficient. You need to have that power. And then when you do your distribution minutes and statements, you need to make sure that, again, you refer to that particular record. So there are timings around when you must make the resolutions for a specific entitlement. And in relation to dividends, you need to make them prior to the, the end of the income year, so prior to 30 June. With capital gains, however, there's a carve out there that allows you to make your streaming resolution within two months of the end of the income year. Now, that conflicts, however, with what we said earlier about making sure that we make someone presently entitled to income of the trust estate as at 30 June. And the circumstance, I, I think that this perhaps is designed to cover is a circumstance where all of your gain may be disregarded and therefore all of it potentially is capital of the trust and therefore none of it would fall into that income of the trust estate. I would think that those circumstances are low, lower certainly. And for mine, I, I tell my clients that really your resolution should be done at 30 June, prior to 30 June, regardless of what the timing rule, say, for, for streaming capital gains. Yes. This timing rule for capital gains really confuses me because 
normal income, normal Division 6 income, needs to be made presently entitled by 30th of June. F streamed franc dividends need to be made presently entitled by 30th of June. I don't understand where this sudden two months grace period comes from. And, and it, or, or why it's necessary. Uh, yeah. It's odd that dividends are, are different, but really I think for my mind, I just didn't advise my clients to do it as that 30 June. Do your resolution all at once. Don't have separate resolutions because that seems to imply that you're going to have separate resolutions. If you have frank dividends and capital gains in the one year, well, I think that's just Gets fraught messy. with danger. Mistakes happen when you don't apply your mind to the whole job and you put things off. Oh, we don't have to do that for two months, so we'll do that in two months. And suddenly you make mistakes, I think, when don't put it all together. I just think it makes more sense to do it all as at 30 June. If this goes wrong and we thought we made somebody specifically entitled but we didn't, then we have to recalculate the adjusted Division 6 percentage. That's right. And we find the way to determine what that adjusted Division 6 percentage is by the definition of that phrase in Section 95. The section is not terribly helpful. It says that the adjusted Division 6 percentage of an entity that is a beneficiary or trustee of a trust estate means the entity's Division 6 percentage of the income of the trust estate calculated on the assumption that the amount of a capital gain or frank distribution to a beneficiary or trustee of the trust estate is specifically entitled were disregarded in working out the income of the trust estate. Now, that boggles my mind and I would have to read that a million times to try to work out what that actually meant. Helpfully, in the explanatory memorandum, they provided a formula to follow, which is really just a fraction. So what you need to do is you work out what the present entitlement to trust income, excluding any capital gains or frank dividends to which that beneficiary is specifically entitled. So once you have that amount, you divide that amount by the income of the trust, excluding any capital gains or frank dividends to which any entity is specifically entitled. Now, that's not, that's yes. not much more helpful, but it's a little, bit, yes. a little bit easier to understand. But so the adjusted Division 6 percentage is basically the normal Division 6 percentage, but you take any specific entitlements out. Yes. And in the numerator, you just take out the specific entitlements for that particular beneficiary, yep. and then the denominator, you take all specific entitlements out. That's right. It can lead to, yes, yeah, some strange outcomes when you do the mathematics. You might have thought that, well, we've made three beneficiaries specifically entitled to all of the capital gain. Well, we might make them entitled to the balance that's not specifically entitled, but it certainly doesn't work that way. But it just, I guess, the downside is... If you get it wrong and you, or you don't make all of the capital gain or you don't make beneficiaries specifically entitled to all of the capital gain, it's a fairly complicated process you have to go through to work out well, who is going to receive the balance of that capital gain that hasn't been distributed or made specifically entitled to a particular you, beneficiary. You just recalculate the adjusted Division 6 percentage and then apply that percentage to any capital gains and any frank distributions that haven't been specifically entitled to a beneficiary. Yes. 
trustee, when they're turning their mind to doing their resolution or minutes of their meeting at the end of each financial year, to make sure they deal with all of the income of the trust and also stream those capital gain and frank dividends should really turn their mind to these core facts that need to be in all all resolutions. First, you need to determine who the beneficiaries are. And we like to make sure that, well, if we're going to distribute to particular beneficiaries, we put in, well, how are they a beneficiary? Because one of the areas of issue is assuming that your beneficiaries are beneficiaries and not reading the deed each time. Generally, these things are done by accountants and they'll have all sorts of deeds and they'll have time restrictions, but it's really important to make sure, well, am I distributing to a person who is actually a beneficiary? And we shouldn't assume. So we put in a statement such as Peter Smith is the principal beneficiary of the trust because he's named as such in the schedule or something along those lines. So it turns our mind each year to ensuring that, yeah, we're going to distribute to an actual beneficiary. And it gets slightly more technical when you're looking at, well, is a company that's not specifically named, but it's named by category, for example, are they a beneficiary? So it's worthwhile exercise to go through and make sure that who you're distributing to are beneficiaries. The next step is to determine, well, how is income of the trust defined in the deed? And we always put in there, well, this is how it's defined and this is how we're going to determine the income for the year. Then it's worthwhile putting in, well, what are the powers of the trustee to distribute income and also to distribute capital? And there'll be separate clauses within the deed and it's worthwhile putting in the full clause to say, well, these are the clauses and this is what they say. So we make sure that what we're doing in later clauses or paragraphs of the minute actually meet the requirements of the trustee. So then if we need to stream a capital gain or frank dividend, we need, as I said earlier, that power to separately identify and categorise either capital gains or frank dividends. We need to find the power in the deed that allows us to do that. And generally we would put it into the resolution saying, well, the chair notes that clause 1637 says this and it allows us to do to separately categorise those capital gains and frank dividends. Next, we need to create separate accounts in the books so we can actually say that, well, here is an account in the book and it relates to that capital gain or the frank dividends that we've received. Then it's about distributing those capital gains. And when we distribute the capital gain, if there's a component that is disregarded for the discount capital gain or the other small business concessions, we need to take account of those competing trust law issues of is it income or is it capital? So the income will be a net capital gain and whatever is disregarded will be a capital component for trust purposes. So the way we write our clauses is uh, we write them in, in in one clause so that we distribute the income component to particular beneficiaries, but we We then say, together with an amount of capital of the trust that's distributed according to our earlier clause, and we use the words being that part of the capital gain that was subject to the application of the discount under section 115.100, and this amount is a financial benefit referable to the capital gain made by the trustee and is not included in the income of the trust. So that's a long-winded statement, but it really hits on all of those aspects of streaming 
that the law requires. So it's, it's a worthwhile exercise to get the form of words right so that we, we make a distribution of income, a distribution of capital, so that the net financial benefit of that capital gain goes to the beneficiary and it's referable to that capital gain or frank dividend. Again, similar aspect in terms of the frank dividend. However, it would only be an amount of income, so a distribution according to the income distribution clauses. So we just make sure that we specifically allocate and distribute the amount representing frank dividends, which have been separately recorded in the trust accounts, and we make that distribution. Then we might distribute other distributable income, so other ordinary income of the trust that we haven't dealt with under the frank dividends or capital gains, and then the usual closing statements of the Secretary would do all things to put these resolutions into place. So that's what our trust resolution would look like. There are plenty of guides out there. One that we turn to from time to time is the CPA Trust Streaming Manual. It's, it's an older manual now, but still worthwhile at least to give you an indication of the elements that you need to put into your trust resolutions. Welcome back. So this was the last of our second mini-series about trusts. We haven't covered the trust loss provisions in Schedule 2F yet, but we'll do that soon. In the next episode, episode 98, Miranda Brownlee of SMSF Advisor will talk about the current top 10 SMSF hotspots. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to class for the support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.